in chapter 13, Paul was writing and he wrote about obeying the government and being um, respectful to the government. And then he also touched on how we're supposed to interact with each other as Christians. And uh, that's also an important topic of how. How do we act as Christians towards other Christians? How do we act as Christians towards the world? All of that are topics that Paul had been covering. And now we get to chapter 14. And, and it's a little different. He's going to now talk about our liberty and, um, and how it applies to us and how we can apply it in love. Today's message is titled, What's for Lunch? Yeah, we'll get there. He starts in uh, verse chapter 14, verse 1. Receive one who is weak in the faith, but not to disputes over doubtful things. For one believes he may eat all things, but he who is weak eats only vegetables. Let not him who eats despise him who does not eat, and let him who... Uh, let not him who does not eat, judge him who eats, for God has received him. Who are you to judge another's servant? To his own master he stands or falls. Indeed, he will be made to stand, for God is able to make him stand. And so here, Paul starts out mentioning, don't dispute over doubtful things. Really what he's saying is, Hey, don't argue over your opinion. Those are the doubtful things. Arguing over, if it isn't something that's clearly in the Bible, that's defined as sin, don't argue about it. There are, are many topics that we can include here. He's using the example of eating meat. Uh, because it was something that they were having an issue with in that day. In those days, you can go to get your meat from the butcher, from the, the person that prepares the meat, but sometimes they have taken that meat and offered it to idols. And people would get freaked out about that, and they didn't want to be eating meat that was offered to idols. So they would then ask, has this meat been offered to idols? Oh, I can't eat it. You know, so if they go to their neighbor's house and their neighbor is offering this meat that was offered to idols, they can't, that's kind of disrespectful saying, I'm not going to eat then at your house. And, uh, and he was trying to address these issues, but he's talking about between Christians and between believers, there are some who eat meat and there are some who don't eat meat. And there are many still today that are in that camp. Uh, a believer that's weak in the faith, faith is usually someone who believes they have it all figured out. Usually, they're the ones that think they're strong in the faith 
but they're actually the ones that are weaker in their faith. At the same time, uh, people who are weak in their faith, that think that they're weak in their faith, that have a little more grace, and uh, they're usually the ones that rely more on God, which makes them stronger in their faith. And quite often we see uh, groups of people that are weak in their faith because they're not being fed with the proper food. Paul was very critical about that, that the church should be eating meat, but instead they were still on milk because they hadn't progressed past the milk. And they were weak in their faith because of that. They weren't growing in their faith. And so when we're talking about meat, we're also talking about the word of God. We're talking about the scriptures. That's what feeds us spiritually what we need to be stronger Christians. The more we understand the word of God, the more we can relate to the things in the scriptures, the stronger we become in our faith. Paul says in Romans 10, 17, faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. The more we develop our faith, it's predicate on how much time we spend in the word of God, how much we actually believe the word of God, how much we apply the word of God to our lives. And that's important. Isn't that what we all want to do? We want to have stronger faith. We want to walk in faith when the world is doing silly things. We want to be sure of what we believe. Uh, we want to be stronger in what we believe. There is a time for our world right now to figure it out. They're not figuring it out. They're trying to listen to the news channels and, um, you know, and get their information from places that don't offer a spiritual solution uh, for the problems of the world right now. Everything is a, a physical uh, solution to the problems, and that's not going to take care of it. It starts with the spiritual aspect of our lives, and then we're able to solve our own issues. You know, it starts with us. It, it doesn't start by making other people see things your way. It starts by doing it yourself. And then people will see, oh, you know what? They don't seem to be affected by what's going on in the world. It doesn't seem to concern them. And so what do they have? What do they believe? And why are they able to uh, endure this? But if we're sitting here disputing on whether or not we should be eating meat or not, or, you know, oh, you, you only eat vegetables, you know? Well, why? You should be eating. God told us we could eat whatever we want, you know? And when we get into disputes about stuff like that, it isn't sin. It's something that someone makes a choice to do. And we, as Christians, have liberty to make choices. 
we can choose what we want as long as it isn't that we're choosing sin. If we're choosing to live you know, a certain way. There are some people that choose not to get married. They want to stay single and they want to just serve the Lord and they choose not to. And then there are people that choose to get married. If we start arguing, well, you shouldn't get married. You're not serving the Lord. Now you're serving your wife, you know, or, or your husband, you know. That's why I got married, you know. So I can apply the teachings of God to serving someone here, I can see the physical manifestation of me serving my wife. Now, it's not the only reason I got married, but it, it sounded good. My wife feels good that I just said that. So, Paul is now talking about, he's not talking about someone in sin, like adultery or something like that. And it's not a disputable thing. Some modern-day Christians are doing things that, to me, aren't, um, aren't something that I would apply to myself. There are some that, like, write the name God with G underscore or G dash D because they don't want to write God because in the Old Testament, Yahweh, they took the vowels out and they spelled it Yahweh without vowels so because they didn't want to say the name of God. Here's the difference. Yahweh is the name of God. God is his title. It's not a name. Taking the O out did absolutely nothing because it's a title. It's not a name. But if they choose to do that, I don't criticize them for it. I'm not going to start doing it to make them feel better about themselves. But, but here's my confusion with it. If the writers of the New Testament who were Jewish didn't put a dash in God, well, why should I? Why should we be doing that and applying that now? It, it's just practical application of what this is saying. But if someone does, and if one of you do that and put the dash, I'm sorry if I offended you. I'm not, I'm just using examples of what Paul is talking about here. Don't tell people what they should or shouldn't do. If you have a friend that does that, don't tell them, hey, you know what? You shouldn't be doing that. And, you know, if you do that, don't tell people, oh, you're, you're not right. You know, you, you shouldn't be saying God without you know, putting a, a dash in there. I don't know how you would do that when you're speaking. Good, you know, what? I, I just don't understand. Paul completes the thought saying God is the one who judges. He's the one who's going to determine who stands or falls. God's the one that's going to determine it. So we shouldn't be doing something to force people to do something that they're not comfortable with. It's between them and God. God's the one that's going to figure this all out. Verse 5 says, One person esteems one day above another, another esteems every day alike. Let each be fully convinced in his own mind. He who observes the day observes it to the Lord. And he who does not observe the day to the Lord, he does not observe it. He who eats, eats to the Lord. 
for he gives uh, God thanks. And he who does not eat, to the Lord he does not eat, and gives God thanks. For none of us lives to himself, and no one dies to himself. For if we live, we live to the Lord, and if we die, we die to the Lord. Therefore, whether we live or die, we are the Lord's. For to this end Christ died and rose and lived again, that he might be Lord of both the dead and the living. So Paul is now um, taking the concept of judging beyond food. He wants to show that he's not just talking about meat and, and, and vegetables. He is now taking it to every aspect of life. And some say that the Sabbath is on Sunday. Uh, we got to be celebrating uh, the Sabbath on Sunday. Some say that the Sabbath is on Saturday. Not, I'm not talking about Jews who do say it's on Saturday, but that's their religion. That's their culture also. And, but we um, say Okay, it's Sunday. Sunday is when we get together. You know why I do it on Sunday? You wouldn't come on Saturday. So I said, okay, Sunday is the day that we will get together. But in reality, every day is set aside to the Lord. Every day. It's a, that's what we believe here at Calvary Chapel and Calvary Chapel uh, wide. That's normal for what we believe. Every day is dedicated to the Lord. We should wake up and dedicated to the Lord, we should go to sleep dedicating our day to the Lord and getting ready for the next day that we're going to experience. So when we eat, we're supposed to give thanks to the Lord for what we eat and when we eat. If you decide not to eat certain foods, do it to the Lord. I decided, not, I decided to give up ribeyes. See, you all laugh because you know there's no way in the world I'm giving up my ribeye, right? But if, if I gave that up, it would be to the Lord that I gave it up. It, you know, you can give up food. There are people that give up food for dietary reasons. You know, I, I, I gave up cookies for an hour. And, um, and you can give up food uh, for certain periods of time, I'm fasting for a certain period of time, that's good too. Do it to the Lord. You know, when your doctor says, hey, you need to lose five pounds, you don't say, okay, well, I'm going to do that to the Lord. I'm going to, you know, or if I have to fast because I'm going in for one of those exams and, you know, and he says, okay, well, you're going to have to fast the day before you come in. Oh, I'll do that to the Lord then, you know. That's not how we fast. When we actually fast to the Lord, it's a time that we set a, dedicate and set aside and say, you know what, I'm not going to eat this. I'm not going to drink that. I'm not going to, you know, I, I could probably give up, um, you know, fat, uh, food for a fast quicker than I can give up coffee, you know, and, and uh you know, so when I go into a fast, if I say, hey, you know what, I'm going to fast from coffee, well, that's really a sacrifice on my part in that I'm not going to do that. But I dedicate that to the Lord. And then during the times when I would be having coffee, um, 
pretty much any time, uh, I remember the Lord and I spend time with him instead of the coffee. And that's what fasting is really about. It's like I'm giving this up not just so I am not, I'm depriving myself. I'm giving it up so that I can spend closer time with the Lord, so I can dedicate that time with the Lord. And, uh, and I think that that's good for all of us uh, to do that. The idea is no matter what we do, we should honor God with all of our lives, no matter what it is that we're doing in our lives. In life and even in death, God should be honored because he's the author of life and death. That's why Jesus died. He died because he wanted to show that he had power over both life and death. He showed and demonstrated the power over death by coming back to life. And then he showed, look, I'm alive, I'm here. And because he set the example, he was showing us that we could do the same thing. That we can have life after death and spend it with him. In verse 9, Paul explains that that was the purpose for Christ to die, to set that example for us. In verse 10, he continues, But why do you judge your brother? Or why do you show contempt for your brother? For we shall all stand before the judgment seat of Christ. For it is written, As I live, says the Lord, every knee shall bow to me, and every tongue shall confess to God. And so then each of us shall give an account of himself to God. <clears throat> Excuse me. So Paul's talking about judging our brothers and showing contempt. That means we don't consider them to be Christians because they don't observe the same things that we do. We look at what they're doing. They, hold on, you're, you, you think that baptism is required for salvation? Well, that's not biblical. Well, maybe not in your Bible, but I think it is because it says, you know, go out and tell the whole world and baptize them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy. That, that's telling you you have to baptize. Uh, but then I can take a scripture and say, it says, believe in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. Where was the baptism mentioned there? There wasn't any. So is that a contradiction in the Bible? No, not even in the least. And that's where you start getting into contention uh, between what people believe. So there are some people that don't uh, believe what I believe about baptism. Are they saved? Of course they are. Because Jesus Christ is how we're saved. Believing in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, believing him for salvation, that's how we're saved. And so when we have that as our foundation, even, uh, you know, some of the other, they don't, they don't believe in a rapture, some churches. They don't believe that Jesus is going to return in the clouds and take the church off the earth. You know, so does that disqualify them from being saved? Does that, did they lose their rapture card? So when the rapture happens, it's like, sorry, pal, you didn't believe. 
No, it's not. They're going to be saved because believing is not believing in the rapture. It's believing in Jesus. And that's how people are saved. And so Jesus is going to execute his plan regardless, regardless of what we believe. Regardless of all the other stuff, Jesus is going to carry out his plan. God is going to make everything happen exactly the way he said. That's why I am so focused on the literal interpretation of the word of God. I want to know what the word of God says so I can know what's going to happen next. I want the details. Help me, Lord. But see, there are some things that aren't, we're not given details for. And so that's where other denominations come up with different ideas of what's going to happen. And we're going to see them, many of them, some of them, in heaven. You know, we're going to, I'm going to go over to the Presbyterian version of heaven and go visit the Presbyterians there. And, you know, then I'll go over to the Baptists and visit there. They think they're the only ones here. And, and I'll go over to the Baptists and, hi, guys, you know, what are you doing here? You're not Baptists. So it's not going to be like that. We're all going to be in the presence of Jesus. And we are going to know just as we are known. We're going to know the truth. It's going to be clear to us. And we're going to say, why did I waste all the time arguing, fighting, and, and being so concerned about these things? When I share with you the pre-tribulation rapture, you don't have to believe me. You can still be in our church and not believe what I teach about the rapture. That's okay. You're, you're still going to go in the rapture because the Bible says so, but... You don't have to believe everything that I teach regarding that. What you do have to believe is that Jesus Christ is the only way to heaven. There's no other way you're going to get there. You can believe in the rapture every day of the week and not get to heaven. Because if you don't have Jesus as your Savior, you're missing the link to heaven. Even Satan believes there's going to be a rapture. He knows. He's been listening. He's been watching the videos online. He knows what's going to happen. But he can't stop it. And so everything is going to be fulfilled just the way Jesus said. So Paul mentions we're all going to stand uh, before Christ at the judgment seat. And, and people get concerned about that. People get, con well, hold on. Uh, you know, am I going to have all of my past brought up before Jesus again? Am I going to have to sit there and watch videos of what I did when I was 19 before they had videos? Am, am I going to have all of this rehash? No. You see, because when we received Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior, all of our sin was forgiven. All of our sin from the past, all of our sin from the present, and all of our sin from the future was forgiven. All of it's forgiven. But our condition, our spiritual condition, 
not the condition of whether or not we're getting into heaven, but our spiritual condition is formed on the fact that if we're living in sin willfully while we are believers, we're disconnecting from the Lord. He can't support us living in sin. It's going to cause us uh, to have times in our life where we are confused, uh, where we aren't sure what God is really doing in our life because he's not talking to us about it. And people may still try. They go to the church and they do everything the way that they're supposed to do and they just don't feel the presence of the Lord or the joy of the Lord. They're missing that peace. And that's because we put ourselves in that category when we choose to live in disobedience to the Lord. And that happens to every one of us. That happens when the Holy Spirit tells you, don't do this. This isn't the right direction to go. You shouldn't be doing this. When the Holy Spirit tells you that, listen. Because if you don't, you suffer the consequences. Not that all of a sudden a lightning bolt is going to come down and, 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 you know, and hit you. That's not the consequences. The consequences are the consequences of your own actions. You choose to get drunk, you're going to suffer the consequences of getting drunk. The Bible doesn't say don't drink. It says don't be drunk. And if you get drunk, you're going to have the consequences of getting drunk. If you choose to have an immoral relationship, adultery, sex outside of marriage, if you choose to do that, you're going to suffer the consequence of doing that. You can't go to church on Sunday and say, well, forgive me of that, Lord. It's okay. I'm, I'm good. Am I forgiven? We're good. No, it, it, it's not good. You still have to suffer the consequences just like anyone that isn't in the church would suffer the consequences of doing that. That's still going to wear heavy on their hearts. That still may impact their relationship with their spouse. It, it's not something that you just ask for forgiveness and it's wiped out. Okay, slate's clean. Oh yeah, between you and God, the slate may be clean, but you still may have to suffer the consequences. When I drive on the freeway, I'm always looking in the rearview mirror. Not for God. <laughs> but I'm, because if I'm going too fast, I may suffer the consequences of my actions. Right? You know, God isn't saying, you're going over the speed limit. You've just left me behind. Now you're on your own. Good luck, buddy. You know, and, and I get into an accident and I go to hell because I, you know, I was going too fast. I broke the law and God says we're supposed to obey the laws. It's not like that. Some people get caught up in that, but that's not how we're supposed to be. How did I get down this road? I, I just, 
I, I want to know. Anyway, I just thought I'd tell you that. Oh, the judgment seat. That's right. So the judgment seat of Christ is the Bema seat. This is the rewards seat. We go before Christ to receive the rewards for what we have done on earth as believers. We get rewarded. We get crowns. And then we listen to casting crowns, not the group, but we throw the crowns back at Jesus because they're all his. It's all because of him that we even have the crown. And so we give them away. But here's the thing. We're given awards for what we have done in his name. And anything that we've done that wasn't really in his name, it's burned up. Some people are going up there smelling like barbecue. Um, you know, they, they got a lot of stuff burned up and not much to show for it. But, you know, they're going to get up there. They're going to be there. So... That's the Bema Seat judgment. There is the other judgment that's coming also. And we're told about that in the great white throne judgment in Revelation chapter 20, verse 11. We read, Then I saw a great white throne, and him who sat on it, from whose face the earth and the heaven fled away, and there was found no place for them. And I saw the dead, small and great, standing before God. And books were open, and another book was open, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged according to their works by the things that were written in the books. The sea gave up the dead who were in it, and death and Hades delivered up the dead who were in them. And they were judged each one according to his works. Then death and Hades were cast into the lake of fire, this is the second death, and anyone not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. And so that's the second judgment that does not impact. We're not going through two judgments. We go through one. As believers, we're at the great white, uh, we're at, at the Bema seat judgment. The great white throne judgment is for everyone else. And Christians don't worry about this because our name is written in the Lamb's book of life. Verse 13 says, therefore, let us not judge one another anymore, but rather resolve this, not to put a stumbling block or a cause in our brother's way. So what does it mean to put a stumbling block in our brother's way. Well, we tell them something that's wrong. You're doing this wrong. You shouldn't be doing this. But we need to make sure it's from God and not our own opinion. If someone's in sin, it's okay to judge them in sin. Not judge them in saying, you're going to hell because you're sinning. There is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. But we can judge their actions in saying, you know what, you should stop that, that sin. And we can you have to judge to determine whether or not it's biblical sin. If it's not, what are you calling them out for? Your opinion? Quite often, we as Christians do that. I don't think that you should be drinking alcohol. I 
don't think it's right. Well, hold on. Where in the Bible does it say you can't do that? And so we have to consider what does the Bible say about alcohol? It says don't be drunk. Now, there are some people who choose not to drink alcohol. Cheryl and I made that choice years ago. And we know that as leadership, being in the church, if we're out there at a restaurant eating and having a glass of wine and someone comes in and pastor's boozing it up, <laughs> you know? Or I'm sitting at the restaurant having the wine and all of a sudden I get a call. Someone was in an accident there at the hospital, you know, they're asking for me. And so I race to the hospital to get there so I can, and racing there, I get pulled over and have you been drinking? Um, uh, you know, and pastor gets arrested for DUI while racing to the hospital. Doesn't make for good news. So you know what? We don't drink and it has blessed us greatly because we never have to worry about that. We never have to worry about someone maybe seeing us doing something. It's not a stumbling block for someone that may see us. There are people who don't drink because they know they have a drinking problem. And so for us to drink and in front of them, it would be like, wow, that's kind of rude, right? And that's where this is going. I know and am convinced by the Lord Jesus that there is nothing unclean of itself. But to him who considers anything to be unclean, to him it is unclean. Yet if your brother is grieved because of your food, you are no longer walking in love. Do not destroy with your food the one for whom Christ died. Therefore, do not let your good be spoken of as evil. That's convicting, isn't it? That it, it, it challenges us. For the kingdom of God is not eating and drinking, but righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. That's where our mind should be in that, but not about what people are or aren't doing in, in their drinking and eating. If we start putting rules and regulations on people, uh, then it's all about what we think is right. It's about our opinion and our good would be spoken of as evil at that point. It's supposed to be about righteousness and joy in the Holy Spirit for he who serves Christ in these things is acceptable to God and approved by men. Well, think of that. If we are received by God for doing good things and, and for living right, it's also going to be acceptable by other people. They're going to say, wow, that's different. He's actually listening to what God has to say. You know, she's doing what the Bible says, even though I don't do that or I don't agree with that, but they are doing what they recognize. If it's sin to you, then it's sin. Have you ever felt that way before? That something that the Bible really doesn't call out as sin, but you don't feel comfortable with it? Then it's sin to you. 
you have to make a decision about what you do in those situations. And the best way to do that is ask the Lord, you know, what should I be doing? He'll give you an answer. You will know. He will make it clear. Sometimes our personalities are such that we do things and we just say, well, that's just who I am. You know, that, that's the person that I am. God made me this way. Um, no, you made you that way. We have control over ourselves. We're supposed to. And we can't use that excuse. God made me this way. Because if we use that excuse, then anyone can apply that. God made me a murderer. God made me a, ser a serial killer. Right? I kill me off some cereal. I like raisin bran, Cheerios, honey nut. And, and, but you can use it to justify anything at that point, but that's not biblical. And the Bible says when you are in Christ, you're a new creation. You're no longer the old person. So if you say, well, God made me this way and I'm going to continue living this way, eh, that's not right. We're a new creation. We're supposed to live differently. We're supposed to be applying. I don't know if you guys realize this, but I teach how we apply the Bible to our own lives. That's my whole purpose of being here is to teach the application of the Bible. And so if we're not applying it, if we're cheering on what the pastor says, but we're not applying it, then we're missing the point that it's not me teaching this. It's God teaching this because I'm reading his word. I'm just plagiarizing. And, and, and I'm teaching what he has to say. And we have to apply this to ourselves, to our own lives. And that's between us and God. And so, you know, we can get together and encourage each other, sharpen each other, fellowship with each other. That's all good. And we should be doing that. But it starts here with us. Or, or there, okay, it, you. It starts with you. Then it affects the world around you. Quite often in larger churches, people try to find their niche. They, they find their area where they can get in and they can, you know, I'm going to do this. I'm going to do that. I bring this ministry, you know, to the, the church and so on and so forth. Um, and it works because larger churches need um, those people to bring in those, you know, to be leaders and so on and so forth. Here, we are a small church. We all bring the gift to share with each other. We all minister one to another. And this is how God works in small groups of people. It, it, sometimes it's intimidating being in a small church because people get to find out who you really are. 
that can be dangerous. You know, you had to see when I first started the church and the only two people were Cheryl and my daughter. You know, try teaching to them. They know who I am. And, and so when we started growing, um, as new people came, they got plugged into the church and started becoming part of the church. That's why some of you are new, some of you are newer, some of you have been here for years, and you know what I'm talking about. And so if this is your first time here, it's a little different. You're looking and saying, I don't know what he's talking about. But this is the church of God. This is how God works through his people to encourage each other, to sharpen each other, and to prepare each other to apply the word of God to our lives. That's how we do it. We do it as a church. We, the church is not a building. Uh, the church is us. And no matter where we go, we are the church. And, and God works in and through his church. Verse 19. Therefore, let us pursue the things which make for peace and the things by which one may edify another. That's what I'm talking about here in the church. Do not destroy the work of God for the sake of food. All things indeed are pure, but it is evil for the man who eats with offense. It is good neither to eat meat nor drink wine nor do anything by which your brother stumbles or is offended or is made weak. Do you have faith? Have it to yourself before God. Happy is he who does not condemn himself in what he approves. But he who doubts is condemned if he eats because he does not eat from faith, but whatever is not from faith is sin. And so here we, we eat. Our, our nickname is Calorie Chapel. And, and you know, we enjoy eating. It's, it's a time of, you know, and if you come out for a meal, you may get, you know, we have turkey for the Thanksgiving event, but you may not like turkey. You know, you, you may say, you know what, I don't eat meat. Well, we have tons of salads, tons of different vegetables, all different kinds of stuff. Besides that, desserts don't have meat in them. Uh, you know, so, you know, just eat the dessert and enjoy it. You know, this is where we fellowship with each other and we learn to live with each other. We, we learn to um, be comfortable with each other. We don't want to be critical of each other because we're not all the same. I don't know if you've noticed that. We're not all the same. There are many differences. Sometimes we look at cultural differences and we think that's the thing we need to focus on, our cultural differences. Sometimes uh, we look at where we're from. I'm, from. I'm from Queens, if you didn't know. Uh, I'm from New York. There's a difference between people from New York and people from California. And being in Arizona, people are from everywhere. I, I don't know. Are there any people that are native Arizonans here? Okay, Joel. Joel is a, okay, there you go, a native Arizonan. 
Okay, but there aren't very many native Arizonans, you know, so everybody brings a little bit of their background here when they come and they're in this place. And so, but that doesn't matter. We're all Christians. When we have the Holy Spirit, we're all linked by blood, the blood of Jesus Christ. And we're all family together. So we should treat each other like family. And if you have faith, have it to yourself before God. Be in faith. Believe what you believe and believe in it strongly as long as it's biblical. Once we start making up our own rules, our own opinions of how things should be and then try to apply it to other people, we're off base. We're, we're missing out on what God really wants us to do and know. So if you have faith to eat meat, go ahead. That's great. Eat meat. And if not, um, don't make someone stumble. But if, you, if, if you make someone stumble because of what you eat, you know, if they invite you out to lunch and you go and, and they, you know they don't eat meat, and uh, so you go over to their house for lunch and they just serve salad. And, you know, you eat and you have a polite time eating and everything. And that's all great. And now you just had a wonderful meal together. You spent time and, and so on and so forth. And then you reach into your pocket and pull out a pack of beef jerky. And I just thought, I just, I just got to have some meat. With, you know, that's rude. Don't be offensive to people that don't have the same opinion that you have. Don't be offensive to them. Just let them live the way they live and, um, you know, and, and be good with it. So that's really the message. Let people be people in their relationship with God and let God sort out the details. Because when we let God do that, it's more effective. If they do something to please us, it's, not, it, it's either not going to be real or it's not going to be long-lasting. It's just going to be temporary until they say, you know what, I don't like that person anymore. Uh, have, you, have you ever had that happen in your life? Friends for a long time, all of a sudden they don't like you and they're gone. It's like, what did I do? What happened? doesn't matter. Let God deal with that. And when we focus on him, then all the other things fall into place. Here's what we should get from this teaching. Love one another without judging one another about things that are only opinions. Remember that Jesus will judge us all, not based on what others have done, but on what we have done. And finally, we're to keep our opinions to ourselves and act selflessly towards others. Sometimes these things appear much harder than they are, but when we have our eyes fixed on Jesus, then it becomes much easier and we actually are able to accomplish much more. So when your brother or sister invites you over, keep this teaching in mind when you ask, What's for lunch? Amen.